0: Well, good morning, church. Happy Father's Day as well. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be looking at starting at verse 26, so Genesis chapter 1. In March this year, Leah Thomas finished first at a women's swimming championship. Leah swam 500 yards, that's four and a half laps, in an Olympic swimming pool or five football fields. Leah outswam the second place winner by over one and a half seconds in about four minutes and 33 seconds. 500 yards. It's amazing. According to the University of Pennsylvania, Thomas was the first female Ivy League swimmer to win a national title in 22 years. But Leah Thomas isn't a woman. Leah is a transgender woman, someone born as a biological male who went through medical treatments and now claims to be a woman. Leah claims to be a woman and wants to compete as a woman. Other women on the University of Pennsylvania swim team have protested because Leah has the muscle mass, the skeletal structure, and the body of a male, but is unfairly competing against other females without those advantages. Who is right? Leah or her teammates? At her televised confirmation hearings, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson was asked, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can you provide a definition for the word woman? She dodged the question and said, I'm not a biologist. Some of our highest government officials can't even answer the question, what is a woman? Do you have to be a biologist to know the answer? Do you have to be a scientist or doctor or someone with specialized training to know who a woman is? No. Absolutely not. God's creation, the natural world, and more importantly, God's word, tells us what a man is and what a woman is. In fact, even a five-year-old can tell you if they are a boy or a girl. Creation declares the glory of God. But more importantly, God's word gives us clarity to a world that doesn't even know the difference between their right hand and their left, between a man and a woman. God's word speaks with truth and authority. Genesis chapter one, starting from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, through your eternal, unchanging, authoritative, authoritative, truthful word. Lord, give us clarity. Give us insight. And Lord, give us conviction on what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false. Speak to us and help us to submit to your word We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, because God's word speaks with clarity and authority, we're not left in the dark on what a man or a woman is. So let us humbly embrace and enjoy how God has created us male and female. Let us humbly embrace and enjoy how God has created each one of us as either male or female. Last week, Rick did a fantastic job preaching on the pinnacle of creation, the creation of mankind in the image of God. We learned about God's plan for mankind. We were made for his glory. God's pattern for mankind. We were made to be his royal representatives. Not God, but like God in ruling and managing creation. And God's purpose for mankind. God's purpose for mankind is directly tied to our gender. Purpose and gender are inseparable. You can't talk about one without the other, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So number one, gender is God's idea. Gender is God's idea. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made each one of us here with bodies. And these bodies are gendered. You either have a male body or a female body, male sex or female sex. To paraphrase one writer, we're more than our bodies, but we aren't something other than our bodies. We're more than our bodies, but aren't something other than our bodies. We're more than our bodies because each person has both a body and a soul as a unified whole. That's why death is so unnatural at death, the soul is separated from the body. So I am more than just my body. I'm body and soul. But we aren't something other than our bodies. When God created persons, human beings, image bearers, he made them with bodies. He made us with physical bodies, not just any bodies, male or female bodies. This is intrinsic. It's foundational. It's fundamental to who we are, the fact that God has created us with a particular body, a male or female body. That means from the moment of conception, male or female has been hardwired into every single cell in your body and mine. We have something called DNA. Most of you are familiar with that. It's a molecular spiral staircase containing instructions for every single cell. It tells a cell what to do. Go build this protein. Go make another copy of yourself. And this DNA is packaged into these uh, units called chromosomes. Chromosomes. So if you're a female, God has ordained from eternity past that you would have two XX chromosomes in every single cell female is undeniable and unerasable. On the other hand, if you're male, God has ordained from eternity past that you would have one X and one Y chromosome. But you don't need science to tell you all that. Long before we had the science of genetics, you would just simply pick up a newborn baby, look at the newborn baby, and tell if the newborn baby was male or female. People have been doing that Since the beginning of time, the physical body tells us something, tells you something. So even a five-year-old can tell you if they are having a new baby brother or a new baby sister. It's that obvious. God hasn't left us in the dark wondering who is a male, who is a female, who is a man, who is a woman. And this creation of gender fits in with God's broader plan throughout creation itself. As we saw earlier, creation is separation. Creation is separation. To quote Kevin DeYoung, think about the complementary nature of creation itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 1. And that's not the only pairing in creation. We find other couples like the sun and the moon, morning and evening, day and night. The sea and dry land, plants and animals, and a man and a woman. Praise God that God doesn't make everything the same. Imagine if there were only plants but no animals. Imagine if there was only a sun but no moon. Creation would fail to reflect God's beauty, glory, and diversity. We'd be missing something. In the same way when God created male and female, he separated the human race into two genders to reflect his beauty, his glory, and his diversity. Jesus himself affirms the creation of gender. In Mark 10.6, Jesus said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So those who reject the connection between biological sex and gender, they reject God's word. They reject creation, and they reject Jesus himself. So first, gender is God's idea. So let us humbly, humbly embrace and enjoy how God has created us male and female. Number two, gender is necessary. Gender is necessary. Let's look at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In this one verse alone, 128, there are five Hebrew imperatives. These are imperatives are commands, commands that God gives. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and have dominion. Gender is necessary. Gender is necessary to reproduce. Again, this might seem obvious, but with this much confusion, it needs to be stated that both male and female genders are necessary to reproduce other human beings. You've got to have a male and a female. You've got to have a sperm and an egg join. Two males can never, ever, ever produce a baby. Two females can never, ever, ever Produce a, baby. a male and female, two different genders, are necessary. I know, again, this seems obvious, but only a female can carry a baby in the womb. Only a female can nurse. And because each gender is necessary, gender isn't interchangeable. A male can never carry a baby. Male and female bodies are fixed biological realities in creation. I might want to have XX chromosomes and have a womb and carry a baby. But that's just as possible for the earth to become the sun or the sun to become the earth. It's impossible. It's impossible. So gender is necessary for humanity to to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Without gender, there's no fruitfulness or filling. You've got to notice that God blessed them. God blessed the first human beings, and told them to fill the earth. The filling of the earth carefully and responsibly is a good thing according to the biblical worldview, not a bad thing. The biblical worldview, in fact, stands over and against all other worldviews. Other cultures take a very different view. For instance, in one Babylonian myth, this is ancient Near East mythology, the human population was a huge problem Too many people meant too much noise. So the gods decided to send a drought and then a disease and then famine to kill off human beings because they were making too much noise. Humans were bad. But that didn't kill off enough human beings, so the gods decided to send a flood to wipe out all human beings because they were too noisy. And only after all the human beings were wiped out in this Babylonian myth, then the gods could have peace and quiet. It's a very anti-human, anti-population uh, worldview. And elements of that worldview are still present with us today. For decades, China had a one child policy with countless children killed through abortion and infanticide. But it's not just there, it's here in America. Many people here have an anti human, anti life, anti reproduction mindset. Babies, for many, are viewed as consumer products. You like it, you keep it, you don't want the baby. You abort it. But the biblical worldview affirms that every human being from the moment of conception is created in the image of God. Every single one. Because of that, to reproduce isn't a command we have to obey. It's a command we get to obey. It's a privilege for us as human beings. Earlier, we saw that God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1, but it was formless and void, like a desert wasteland, unformed and unfilled. Then on the first three days, God formed creation. He formed it. He was creating light and sky and land. He was forming that which was formless. And on the last three days, God filled creation. God filled the space, sky, seas, and land with life and objects. Form and then fill. As God formed and then filled, now we as human beings have the privilege to form and fill. God commands us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To fill the earth with image bearers. To fill the earth with life. To fill and populate the planet with human beings. If humans are to imitate God, then creating life is a basic part of the task. A man and a woman can produce a living soul. Childbirth is an act of worship, a sharing in the, act of, a sharing in the work of God, the one who created life, Alan Ross. What an amazing privilege it is for us as God's image bearers uh, to imitate God himself to be like the one who created life. So let us humbly embrace and enjoy how God has created us male and female. I want to take a moment now to speak for those who don't have any children, either as a single or a married person. Again, the Christian worldview stands over and against rival worldviews. Some worldviews reject the command to be fruitful and multiply. But other worldviews go the other extreme and idolize population growth. One of the decrees of Caesar Augustus penalized bachelorhood and rewarded marriage and childbearing. Can you imagine living in a society where it was a crime to be a single? Well, that existed back then. In a Greek context, it was common to emphasize the duty to marry and propagate. In rejecting this position, Paul says, There is not any Jew or Greek, not any slave or free, not any male or female. Victor Hamilton. What does Paul mean by there is no male and female? Isn't gender God's idea? Isn't gender necessary as we just looked at? Well, he means this our identity in Christ is ultimate, not your identity as male or female or even mother or father. As important as those are. In the Christian worldview, therefore, singleness is held up and esteemed alongside marriage. Paul valued his status as a single so he could devote himself to the Lord's work, to preach, to travel, and yes, even get stoned and shipwrecked for the sake of Christ. In the Christian worldview, male and female are created equal, equal image bearers, equal in dignity, value, and worth. But in first century Judaism, a woman was an object, like a house or flocks, and a husband could divorce his wife for any cause. Or in many Asian cultures today, it's a very different worldview. In sharing about her experience growing up in a family of eight girls with seven sisters, one Asian woman remembers her grandfather telling her and her sisters, all you girls are useless because you belong to another family. All you girls are useless because you belong to another family. Daughters were considered spilled water after marriage. These are depressing and anti-biblical worldviews. The next time someone tells you the Bible is oppressive, just graciously tell them what the Bible actually teaches, that male and female, men and women, are created equally in the image of God and show them what history is like. In God's eyes, no woman is spilled water. In God's eyes, no woman is useless. No woman is an object. It's the Christian worldview that consistently affirms and celebrates equality of the genders and diversity of the genders. Gender diversity, male and female, is necessary. It's necessary for us to reproduce. But it's not just necessary for us to reproduce and fill the earth with other image bearers. It's necessary for different roles, different roles. Our culture tells us that men and women are interchangeable in their roles, that there's no distinction in roles between men and women. But the differences in body, point, differences in body and biology point to differences in role. Because gender is not interchangeable, roles are not interchangeable. Women are made by God not just to carry a child, but to nurture her child and orient her life around the home. Now, what I just said is cultural heresy, but I'll say it again. Women are made by God not just to carry a child, but to nurture her child and to orient her life around the home. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. So right in the middle there, Paul instructing Titus on how to order relationships within the church, tells wives, love husbands and children, self-control and be pure, but working at home, working at home. But wait, does the Bible teach that a woman can't work outside the home? It's a valid question that you might be having. Proverbs 31 answers that question. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. The passage goes on. The excellent wife of Proverbs 31 invests in real estate. She farms and she has her own Etsy store. We see a picture of a wife and a mother working outside the home. Not to fulfill her own career goals, but for the purpose of building up her home. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 27. As we look further in the chapter. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Ladies, as you see all that the excellent wife does in Proverbs 31, we don't want you to be discouraged and feel a crushing burden that you have to do all these things all the time. I think the woman does all these things uh, over different stages of life, different seasons of life, different activities in different points in her life. Not necessarily all these things all the time. So a woman can work outside the home, but she looks to the ways of her household. Life is oriented toward and around the home. I'm so grateful for the women at Risen Hope who have chosen to forego career opportunities outside the home to focus on opportunities to serve inside the home. It's a real sacrifice. You are to be commended and honored for that choice. Wives are commanded to manage their households, First Timothy 5.14. And you ladies exercise God's command to fill the earth and subdue it through exercising your authority in the home. The reformer Martin Luther once said, In domestic affairs, I defer to my wife, Katie. Otherwise, I am led by the Holy Ghost. Being a full-time homemaker isn't a lesser form of work, as our culture might lead us to think. It's a work divinely ordained by God. And if God has called you to be a full-time homemaker in this season of life, could there be anything more meaningful, more glorious, more amazing than building a home to the glory of God? To invest in the next generation of disciples? To free your husband so he can pursue God's calling on his life? And for some women, we understand it's just not possible for you to work full-time in the home. Perhaps you're a single mom or, a, or your husband is unable to work. I want to commend you for juggling so much, for choosing to support your family through your work. The Lord sees and will give you all the grace you need. And that call to manage the household, to be oriented toward the home, to work at home, is done with joyful submission to the husband. It's a submission rooted in the nature of our triune God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.3, The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So the head of a wife is her husband. The husband is the head of the home, just as as the head of Christ is God the Father. So that headship in the home reflects the headship in the Godhead himself, how God the Father is the head of Christ. So the husband is the head. Not because the husband is any better, right? I mean, God the Father isn't better than God the Son. Both male and female are equally created as image bearers. God created male headship to reflect the relations within the Godhead. Just as the son joyfully submits to the father's leadership, the wife is called to submit joyfully to her husband's leadership. We call this complementarianism, which means that male and female have different roles that fit together, like salt and pepper, like peanut butter and jelly. They fit together. Pastor Dick Lucas writes, There is no possibility of a married woman's surrender to a heavenly Christ, which is not made visible and actual by some submission to an earthly husband. So if you're married, your submission to your husband is the evidence that Jesus is Lord over your life. I want to speak now to our men. Once again, happy Father's Day. It is a joy and blessing And a high calling to be a father. I thank God for all the men who are working hard to support your families, to provide for the physical and spiritual needs of your home. Wives are called to submit to their husbands, but it's never forced. Submission must be freely given by the wife out of reverence for Christ. We as men are never called to force that submission. That would be abuse. There's no verse in scripture that says, husbands make your wives submit. It's not in there, trust me. Not in there. Husbands, what you are called to do is love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. So men, God has made us physically stronger to work, to protect, to serve, to provide. And that leadership role is part of God's good design. As John Stott wrote, if headship means power in any sense, then it is power to care, not to crush. Power to serve, not to dominate. Power to facilitate, not frustrate. And and in all this, the standard of the husband's love is to be the cross of Christ. The standard of the husband's love is the cross of Christ. Men, Jesus taught that the measure of greatness is servanthood. The greatest among you will be your servant. And as Christ used his power, his authority, his perfect record of righteousness, not to be served, but to serve, men, you too are called to serve just like that. If you aren't serving your wife as Christ served the church, you're not living up to the call of manhood. If you're not dying daily, taking up your cross, then you're not living up to the call of manhood. Pastor Dick Lucas, again, the rule of Christ demands that a man serve his wife as the evidence that he is serving Christ. The rule of Christ demands that a man serve his wife as the evidence that he is serving Christ. So men, husbands, the evidence that you are serving Christ, that Christ is the Lord of your life, is that you are serving your wife. I've been a father almost 10 years now. It's been such a joy, such a privilege. Our kids range in age from 9 to 1. But I think about this call of Christ, and I know that I fall short. May God give us the grace we need to obey this call, and may we hold one another accountable to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Men, as you interact with other men, make that a regular conversation topic. Ask, let us ask one another, what are you doing this week? What are you doing this day to love and serve your wife? What are you doing to love and serve your wife? So gender is God's idea. Gender is necessary. And third, gender is good. Gender is good. Let's look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything God made is good. At the end end of days one through five, except for day two, which we talked about previously, we see this phrase, God saw that it was good. The end of day six is different from the other three, the other days in three ways I want to point out. First, we see the word everything. God saw everything he made, not just what was made on day six, but everything from days one through six. Second, we see behold, behold, this is the Hebrew word of way of saying, wow. Wow. There's an excitement that God hasn't expressed until now. It's like God saying, check this out. You've got to see this. Let me share this. Let me retweet this. Third, we see very. It was very good. When everything is complete, it's not just good, but very good. And that very good most definitely includes our gender. Being made male or female is not just good, but it's very good. So gender is God's idea, gender is necessary, and gender is good, or we might even say very good. So let us humbly embrace and enjoy how God has created us male and female. So how does transgenderism fit with all of this that we've just looked at? Transgender ideology is a rejection of everything we've just talked about. Rejecting God's idea of gender, rejecting the necessity of of gender, rejecting the goodness of gender. In the transgender worldview, if I decide I don't like being a male, if I decide I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, I have every right, even obligation, to be true to myself and transition to a female. So in the transgender worldview, I would get hormone treatments, surgeries to remove parts of my body and then change my name to something like Lexi. Transgenderism is a rejection of the Creator-Creature distinction. It's a rejection of the Creator-Creature distinction. The Bible introduces two fundamental, unchangeable, and urgent categories. You get this wrong, you're in trouble. Everything in the universe fits into one category or the other. There's Creator, and there's Creature. Creator and Creature. Category confusion is a fatal mistake with eternal consequences. It's fatal to treat the creation as the creator, or vice versa. A creature really has a choice between two options. Either it chooses to be its own creator and thereby ceases to be a creature, or it must be and remain a creature from beginning to end, and therefore owes its existence and the specific nature of its existence only to God, Herman Bovink. The Bible says that God is the creator, and you and I are creatures. But transgenderism says you're the creator, and it promotes self-creation. But there's no such thing as self-creation. There is only one creator, who's God himself. Chromosomes cannot be re-engineered, removed, or scrubbed from the software of our bodies. It may be possible for a trans woman to pass for a woman on the street at the visual level, but it is not possible for a man to morph himself into a biological woman. It is not possible to raise our bodies to the ground and rebuild them. You can try, but you can't rebuild every single cell in your body. Even if a man grows out his hair, wears high heels or gets surgery to pretend to be a woman, Every single cell within that man shouts out, XY male, male, male. Those who reject their bodies reject their existence before God, the creator. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Not only is transgenderism a rejection of the creator, transgenderism is a rejection of creation. It's a rejection of creation. In the early church, there was a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Gnosticism prized the mind and the soul as good, but rejected the body as bad. Gnosticism was a heresy because Jesus Christ himself took on a real human body, showing that the created body is good. Transgenderism drives a wedge between mind and body and says, well, what's in your mind? That's the real you. Your body, that's not the real you. Mind is good, body is bad. Transgenderism is just a recycled form of Gnosticism. The Bible affirms the goodness of both mind and body in the whole person. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Church, God has made you male or female. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, both body and soul, as a whole person. Let us not divide what God has joined together. And third, transgenderism is a rejection of science. Transgenderism is a rejection of science. How many of you have heard of bodily integrity disorder? Bodily integrity disorder. There are some people who feel like a part of their body, maybe it's their right arm or their left leg, they feel like part of their body doesn't belong to them. So they want to amputate that limb because it doesn't feel right. They, need to, they feel a need to get rid of that arm or leg. To quote one author, should we encourage them to remove the arm or leg based on that feeling? No. A loving response will help the person see that the limb is a natural part of who they are, and they should work to align their feelings with their biology. We need to work to align their feelings with their biology. Cutting off a healthy arm isn't medical progress. It's going backwards. In the same way, transgenderism destroys, it defaces human bodies. It's not medical progress. It's going backwards. A comprehensive survey of the scientific evidence was published in 2016 in the New Atlantis. It discussed over 200 peer-reviewed studies in the biological, physiological, and social sciences and concluded the hypothesis that gender identity is an innate fixed property of human beings that is independent, that's the hypothesis, that somehow our creation is male or female, is independent of biological sex, that a person might be a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body, is not supported by scientific evidence. It's not supported by scientific evidence. So science simply affirms what we've known all along from God's word and from creation. The secular scientists have reached this conclusion. It's not something you're going to hear in the secular media. As we conclude, how do we as Christians engage with our culture in this area? We need to show love and compassion for those deceived by transgenderism. We need to listen and understand the struggles of others. We need to understand that there is real pain and confusion and struggle, not just outside the church, but perhaps inside the church as well. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to to be angry and we need to show love and compassion by speaking the truth in love it's not loving to bear false witness against our neighbor and what I mean by that is not loving to use a preferred pronoun when we know it's not true if God has made someone male it's a lie to call that a person she or her it's a lie now I think it's okay to use a transgender person's name out of respect But it wouldn't be okay to call someone a she or her when the person was born a biological male. Finally, we need to show love and compassion by holding out the hope of the gospel. Our hope isn't found in looking within, looking for ultimate purpose and meaning in defining our own reality. Our hope isn't found in you be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart. Those are dead ends. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery don't report higher levels of happiness afterwards. In fact, doctors see prolonged distress and misery as a result. Again, this should come as no surprise to us. Happiness, joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction come with living the way God created us to live and within his boundaries. And we, as God's people, we have true hope and joy and peace because god has shown us his plan as the creator maybe you're here this morning and you're not a christian thank you for being with us this morning maybe you're struggling with everything i've just said maybe this is the first time you've heard something just like this or maybe you're confused about your own identity as male or female and i just want to say it's okay to struggle If you're struggling, talk to your community group leader or a pastor. No one's going to look down on you. We want to struggle with you and find the hope of Christ with you. And we want to hold out the truth that Jesus Christ came to fix everything that is wrong in this world. But that problem isn't just out there, it's in here, it's in each one of us, each one of our hearts. Rather than live God's way, each one of us, whether we struggle with our gender or not, we have rebelled against God and chosen to live our own way. God warns us that doing that, sinning against God, that the wages of sin is death, eternal death in a place the Bible calls hell. But but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus shed his blood on the cruel Roman cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty our sins deserve. So if you haven't yet done so, come to Jesus. Come to him by faith. Come to him through the doorway of repenting from your sins and trusting and looking to him alone for your salvation. And he will forgive all of your sins and give you the hope and promise of everlasting life and a future where everything wrong in this world will be made right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. 2 Corinthians five seventeen and 18. To be a new creation in Christ is to be able to anticipate the certainty. That's what we have. The certainty of a coming day when the disorder of creation is put back together. And when dysphoria of any kind is replaced by euphoria of every kind. A new creation in Christ recognizes that even in broken minds, living in broken bodies, living in a broken world, there is a definitive and clear, very good blueprint of creation. Andrew Walker. Our four-year-old Alexa loves driving her younger sister in a cozy coupe car. For those who don't know what a cozy coupe car is, it's a, it's a red car with a yellow roof that a child can get into and pretend they're driving a car. Alexa will drive Tessa around, push her around, and the most enjoyable thing they do is to crash for her, is to crash her sister into the wall. She'll go crash, and then both the girls will just start laughing and giggling like it's the funniest thing in the world. Needless to say, we don't give out driver's licenses to four-year-olds. Not a good idea. Just like we don't allow four-year-olds to drive, we don't allow children and teens to determine their own gender. Lots of teens are being misled by transgender social media influencers. So, parents, if you parents of children, parents of teens, beware and be warned. Don't give your teens the keys to social media until they're ready. At the start of our Genesis series, Tim talked about a watershed. A watershed. A watershed is the peak on a mountain from which rain flows downward in opposite directions. Fall on one side, water goes this direction. Fall slightly this way, the water goes in a completely different direction. Genesis is that watershed. If we submit to God, our life moves forward and upward. But if we deny God deny the reality of creation, deny the reality of the created order as male and female, our biology, our roles. If we deny God, we spiral downward into moral, spiritual, and eternal destruction. So church, let us humbly embrace and enjoy how God has created us male and female and let us teach our children to do the same. Let me pray. Father, I I pray for our church this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would in fresh ways enjoy what it means to be male or female, how you have made us. Lord, it is a gift. It's to be enjoyed. It's to be celebrated. I pray, God, that you would give us fresh courage to live out our calling as male or female in submission to your word, to a watching world, and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.